0: I I keep a special neuron around just for it.
1: (laughs) Just one neuron.
2: all you need. That's all you need. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Offerzen, a South African recruitment startup for developers. Offerzen inverts the normal recruitment process. Instead of applying for jobs, 350 tech companies in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Pretoria send developers interview requests with upfront salary info. For developers, it's completely free to sign up and use. In fact, you get 5,000 Rand if you take a job through them. Visit OfferZen.com to sign up. That's offerzt N.com. Hi hey everyone, and welcome to episode seventy-one of the ZA Dev Chat podcast tonight on the panel. I'm joined by Chantal.
3: hello, and
2: Lynn. Hey, may the force be with you. And our guest tonight is Jade Abbott. Hello, Jade.
3: Hello, guys.
2: So, Jade, for the people that don't know you yet, uh, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself and, and and kind of tell us how you got into technology?
3: Cool. So, if I go all the way back, I was a, I think I was I was one of those kids. I was really lucky. I was, I think. 14 or 15, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. I was like, cool. Like I want to be a software developer and I want to build robots. I can talk to Like I knew that, I don't know how, I don't know why I played with like a lot of PCs when I was young. My dad always like gave them to me, always, you know, I used to open them up and delete registry files and whatnot. And so I knew, and when it came to, what are you are going to study? I was like, cool, well, I'm going to do computer science. And then after that, I'm going to like focus in on AI. And yeah, it's like, that's pretty much it. Um, studied at Tux, um, did my honors, busy doing my masters in um, computer science and specifically in swarm robotics, which sounds way more interesting than it actually is. Um, What's well, pretty interesting, just like doing a thesis is really not interesting. And, yes, and then started working at Rabbit. been doing a hell of a lot of software development, and they always knew I wanted to do AI projects, so as soon as, like, some AI stuff came up, they were like, cool, here's your project, go, 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 I was like, yay! So then I dived in, and, yeah, so here I am now, finally working on AI projects, which is awesome.
2: I think that is the most linear path of any guest we've had so far. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty linear <laughs> i was quite focused
2: yeah that definitely um i mean so making robots where where did that inspiration come from
3: so i didn't ever well i i don't I, I i read a lot of science fiction i read a lot of science fiction um and my dad used to watch a lot of star trek and the sci-fi channel back in the day and i every time there was a robot on screen i was like i want to i want to I don't know if I ever wanted to build them. I just wanted to program them. And that's still true because I've tried, Even actually even trying to program them at a low level, I hate it. I mean, one's veering off left or something. I used to have a robot that, like <laughs> I had 10 of them. One would just continuously veer off left. And as a developer, I didn't have any like technical expertise. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, where it came from was originally just watching science fiction and reading science fiction and reading all of Isaac Asimov. But I don't actually want to build them. I would happily code their brains and give them the power to think. But I like no, none of the tell it to you know teach it how to move left, <laughs>
0: none, of, none of that. So you so you, so you don't think that um, intelligence is inherently a physical thing, right? It's like got nothing to do with the physical. You don't need an actual robot.
3: Well, to be fair, it has to be physical in some way. Well, physical in the way that like your brain is constructed in a certain way and. Its structure aids intelligence. And so in that regard, like we'd have to build structures which can aid intelligence. So in that way, I'd say, yes, it is. So, but we don't, we don't necessarily need a physical robot, but that said, you do need some way to truly capture like the world around you. Um, so they always say that you won't have true intelligence until you can have a physical manifestation of a robot or something interacting with the environment, seeing things, picking things up so that it can learn for itself. Cause it's very hard for an isolated system to learn. Um, mm. But I think that's just from an implementation perspective. It's just difficult to teach something when it can't just do it itself.
0: Yes. Yes. So yeah, I guess it's just trying to find out where you fall on the spectrum of, you know, sort of intelligence reductionism, I guess you'd call it, you know, is IE is intelligence just an algorithm or, you know, or where, where do you stand on that sort of? Spectrum, but we, we can dig into that later, I guess.
2: Cool. <laughs> well, I would say go for it. That's actually fascinating. And, <laughs> and it like, influences a, a bunch Where of... Where do th-
0: you stand on this, Kenneth? Is, is intelligence an algorithm or not?
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. I definitely don't think it's one. But I don't even know if that makes any sense coming out of my mouth like that. Well, like one algorithm. Yeah. One. I, I think it's many things working together. Many desperate systems like coming together. Um, yeah. To to give you that kind of feedback. I mean, it's it's visual processing and 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 like audio processing, and within audio, there's like what's and in visual, like what's threatening, what's non-threatening, like stuff you learn on from this the touch, and and how you respond to past touches, and and like all this kind of stuff. And if you if you've got a sensor world now, like I guess your olfactory senses can blow up to levels that people never could see the world. So how do we make one thing that can encompass even stuff we don't understand yet, or cameras that can see in wavelengths that we don't know of. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if it's there's one algorithm to rule it all. But I definitely think you can bring many different ones together to to do something interesting.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I, I guess the fundamental thing, Kenneth, is do you believe that like intelligence is algorithmic? That, that there's there's like quite a division, right, in the world of like AI. Hmm. Like
2: that was that was the question. Right? Yeah, yo, I don't know. Honestly, I mean, a part of me wants it to be, um, and I say that because I think that like unlocks a few things, and and I like having, you know, like good explanations for stuff, and and stuff that good Radio Lab episodes can be made about. Um, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I don't want that to just be an algorithm because that really just breaks us down to. Something silly, yeah. Like, you know? like in
0: my in my notebook, on page seventeen is the formula for Kenneth.
2: <laughs> yes,
3: exactly. I'm totally okay with that. Actually, like I'm, I think we're, I do believe we're algorithmic, and I'm totally okay with the fact we're algorithmic. And if that's all we boil down to be, I wouldn't be surprised. We're very complex algorithms, and we're lots of little things that combine make something like. Obviously, intelligence emerges as a function of these lots of little things. But I do really believe we're algorithmic, and I think that's literally all there is to it. <laughs>
0: this podcast will never be aired. <laughs> <laughs> the machines will stop
2: it. No, but that the is. The lines have been drawn. <laughs> but no, that is that's interesting. Um, Lynn Chantal, where do you sit on 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 that?
0: You haven't you haven't gathered I already where know. I sit on
2: this? <laughs> okay, algorithmic. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Like, I've watched the movie, um, X, what is it? X Machina? Have you guys seen it? It's amazing. And it's just very disconcerting, the end. Um, I don't know. So I feel like it was just, yeah, basically this robot that learned something, like, wasn't showing true emotion or anything. It was just like, yeah, I need to find a way to escape this house. That's, that's, that's what I, that's what I've been programmed to do. Survival instinct. Yeah. That's it's pretty- totally scary, but
3: I think the uh, I mean is emotion like a requirement for intelligence? Can you not be intelligent without having any emotion? So that, and that's actually very scary. I was watching something even scarier, which was um, Alien Covenant, and uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it yet. But,
0: but not yet, it's on our
3: list. Yeah. The, if you want to see an AI get out of hand, like <laughs> Dave, <laughs> that robot <laughs> is so messed up.
2: Oh, cool. I look forward to it. Well, I was going to say, the, the flip side is that that robot in, um, what's it, Marvin? Marv, Marv, moved Marv, the Marvin
3: uh, from Hitchhiker's Guide.
2: Yeah, I mean, these emotions saves them <laughs> 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 by causing another machine to to. Off itself. So I mean emotion's definitely one thing. But yeah, it's a good that's a good point. Um I mean in people that don't have emotion, it's scary. But the only example that comes to mind is Sherlock. Um, <laughs> like a high functioning thing say, so, Oh, that's that's fascinating. Wow. I yeah, thanks guys. I might not sleep so, this week. So
0: yeah, no. So now there's a machine that's out there and it has no real like consciousness or intelligence, right? But it learns the Kenneth algorithm. And what it's able to do is completely manipulate you because it knows you. It, like you're written down on page seventeen of this algorithm. Like it can do whatever it wants and just make you.
2: Oh, it's my mom's handbook.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I knew there was something strange about you, coming. no but I mean, you're right. So, like on the other side, if I have to pull it, um, like in a slightly different direction, when we when I did that, <clears throat> neuro linguistic programming course. Um, yeah. A few years ago, that's essentially what it boils down to is programming people through, like, na- natural language and, and emotions.
0: Yes, and I and- yes. so now, now imagine an algorithm learns that about you, right? And it's just an algorithm. I, you know, see, like I've, I struggle to make this jump from an algorithm to something that's kind of sentient conscience, like aware, et cetera, et cetera. And it can just, you know, like, do whatever it likes to you at the behest of some government agency, probably. But that's yeah. too scary for this podcast. Let's <laughs> let's go back to our guests, shall we?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Jade, I, I you're not building this kind of stuff. <laughs> Reverse engineering us.
3: And not 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 planning on it just yet. Maybe <laughs> one day. But I, I want to make friendly robots first, not ones that try to like uh, I don't know, take advantage of people.
2: Well, keep your enemies close, no? <laughs> yeah, <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk about uh, neurolinguist, ah, natural language processing. You see, this NLP word with the double meaning, so close to each other. Um, I think I want to, like, maybe let's just start with some basic definitions. Um, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people might have stumbled across some reading material about it or heard about it. I know I've definitely tried, without any real aim, uh, to do something with it and failed spectacularly. So I'm looking forward to actually learning a bit um, but yeah, I mean, what is natural language processing?
3: It's it's kind of one of those very descriptive uh, acronyms. Um, it's you process natural language, and by natural language, you mean like our everyday speech um, compared to something which is not natural, like programming, for instance. Um, and it's the ability to process it to be able to do a whole number of tasks. So whether it's understanding something semantically, whether it's uh, trying to understand um, whether there's certain emotions associated with what you're saying, or being able to um, extract certain information from it. So extract um, meaning or entities or concepts or things from that. Um, and that's what it basically boils down to. It's the study of how we can use computers to process natural language—that is it.
1: So, does text mining and sentiment analysis fall uh, fall under the umbrella yes. of Yes. Um, yeah, it will fall under the giant umbrella of NLP. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was just going to say it's quite a huge umbrella the way you laid it out there just now, and uh,
3: <laughs> it's very broad. <laughs> And anything to do with text, even speech recognition, that's also falls under NLP.
2: Oh, so converting the signal into text is almost just a tiny prerequisite for the hard work to come.
3: <laughs> yes, basically.
2: Yowch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that is that gives us hope. If anybody wants to build their own little home automation thing um, and they want to yell at it, this is a big part of it.
3: Yeah, but and you can actually download libraries that can you can train to do that for you. It's pretty cool.
0: But, you know, but this training stuff, that's just like matching, right? If you hear the following noise, it means, you know, open the door. There's no like uh, understanding of open and door and like all that kind of stuff, right?
3: No, so, and I guess that's uh, the main thing. We're, we're, we're not at general AI. So what we were talking about earlier is like generalized artificial intelligence, which is like the big scale where they understand all the way from like, cool, this is a... Um, you know, open the door, and there's the door. So right now, all we can do is we can take those and map them to certain things. So it's like a direct kind of mapping.
0: Yeah, like right right now, it can't do like second level inference. Like you can't say, it would be really nice if there was fresh air in the house, and then it decides to open the door.
3: So technically, you could kind of train something to do that. So, um, but I don't think,
0: but only are matched on that exact phrase. Yeah,
3: well, it doesn't have to be quite the exact. So you could probably capture an intent. So. Um, ooh, it's getting hot in here Versus, as well as uh, it'd be nice if there'd be fresh air versus if you give it a whole variety of examples of things that it could um, mean open the door. So,
0: so how, how much, so what What level are these things getting contextual awareness at right now? I mean, like, like I could say, like, the, you know, there's, it's English, so they're four times ten to the whatever sentences I could say that ultimately result in open the door, right?
3: Yeah, so so the way they tend to do that now is um, using a couple of technologies, is they basically train these machines to kind of understand, like, w- words and words surrounding them, what they mean. So they're kind of trying to capture, like, these inherent semantics. And okay. in doing that, they capture the individual words, and then if you combine those individual words, so you build up these, actually, these very big mathematical definitions. So instead of having, like, a what you're saying, you've got a couple of words. How would those words match up to open the door in any way right. unless yeah. you've explicitly told it yeah. or, or it, to the intent to need to open the door? Um, so what they do now instead is, instead of matching actual tokens of text, yes. they'll try to create a, or they do, um, with a couple of technologies, try to create what they call word vectors. And a word vector is a way, it's basically this giant vector of numbers They're usually a couple of hundred characters and that kind of captures the semantics and the way you train it is you just feed it like wikipedia and google news and all these big data sets and it learns based on context so if i say the word you know door, yeah. it's often going to be used when I'm talking about open and often going to be used when I'm talking about house or things like that, close So, so does the vector like
0: capture like related words or related, yeah. like, like sort of use cases of that word?
3: Yeah, so it wouldn't quite capture use cases, but it would capture kind of semantic usage, like how often are these things, how semantically close are these relative terms kind of thing. Um, and you could combine, like I said, you can build up these um, word vectors into thought vectors and that would capture an entire thought. So we could say the word software developer and say the word programmer. Semantically those are exactly the same things. Um, but they've got completely different words. So but because they're used in similar contexts, we always when we're talking about software developers, we're talking about different languages. When we talk about programmers and we talk about different languages, always, you know, this the same kind of context yeah. um, it learns that those things are the same in the same way as you you know when you say could we get some air in here you might always be saying in a similar context to like oh it's a bit stuffy around here or um we need to uh, it's getting a bit warm or something um if we say those enough we feed it enough patterns where those things are used quite closely together it might end up picking up that cool this is referring to the same thing and, well, the same intent. We can train it to, like, say, cool, group things like this under the same intent and that intent would be to open the door. So it's hard to get, like, the full context. I'd have to probably draw out, like, a nice little picture to be able to (laughs) explain, like, how you'd go about training it. There's an unsupervised part, which would be the understanding of words where you just feed it the whole of Wikipedia. And the supervised part would be the bit where you're actually saying, cool, well, if something does result in an intent like this, then match it to open the door.
0: Right, right. And so these are kind of like directed graphs around trying to get to an action or some sort of
3: yeah. So part like one quick result
0: be a, kind of thing, yeah.
3: Kind of yeah. So part one it wouldn't be a directed graph. That would be like a crazy neural network.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, the part two. But could, I mean, but like laid over the neural net, there's yeah. a kind of
0: like there's this kind of input. So then you end up at that kind of output.
3: Yes. Yeah. So eventually, <coughs> it ends up being a kind of like graph, and it's that's why they often talk. Everyone's talking about bots. I don't yeah. know if you work with clients and you've got like everyone wants a bot. It doesn't matter if you're an insurer or a bank. Everyone just needs a bot. And <laughs> the way they, oh, just, my word, um, the way they, the way those systems are built is that they use natural language processing to yeah. determine what the intent is. But once you have the intent, you basically feed it to a state machine, and that tells you what the next step in the process yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's the graph I was thinking of. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So they're like, neural nets are kind of very low-level word identification and then kind of giving some sort of semantic context. Oh, this is a door. I'm a house control system. I know what a door is. Yay. Okay. So what do you want to do about the door? You want to open it? You want to close it? Is it open? You know, like queries, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That's where we are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I want to just, I want to take a moment to tell you about Office OfferZen connects you with more than 350 South African companies that are hiring developers. Instead of dealing with recruiters or applying to dozens of jobs individually, on OfferZen, companies apply to you. To get started, just sign up on OfferZen.com and build a profile. Once you're ready, your profile is made visible to the companies hiring on OfferZen. Companies interested in you will send you an interview request with details about the job, including upfront salary info. So if you're looking for work or want to hire developers, check them out at OfferZen.com. That's dot com. I mean, stop me if it gets too low-level, but I've, I've bumped into this word to vec so many times. Um, I just want to make sure, like, I understand it a bit more. Like, the one thing that really came out for me when I saw your presentation was this, that you can feed it like a whole Wikipedia page. I don't know why somehow in my head I had this thing that you would actually pass the loose individual words back and get a number, and then you've got... I had no idea how to even make sense of it. Um, so I guess we're asking for like a hand-holding starter advice.
3: Okay, cool. So um, so the bit you probably got confused is when I actually explained the training versus when you're actually in use. So when you're using it, when using Word2Vec in particular, um, you feed it, like you basically say, give the model like, I want the vector for this word, and you give it a single word. You can sometimes give it two words if that, those two words happen to be in your original dictionary of things that were classified as words. Like, um, But ideally, you give it a word, and it spits out this very large vector. Um, but to train it...
0: Which which says, that vector says, these words appear on the following Wikipedia pages.
2: <laughs> well, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's good oh, enough for in, the in example,
0: in yeah. Essence.
3: yeah in, in, essence. In, in essence, it says, yeah, these words, the, this or this word, this one word appears close to all these other words, or, you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, which are that. topics in Wikipedia, so it gives some kind of idea of no, what it's you're talking
3: it's Yeah, it's not even, like, topics at that point. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just, like, literally, so what it does, it kind of takes a window around, it splits all the text up into windows. Right. Um, and then each a word would be picked as the target word that it needs to predict based on a, a surrounding context, and it actually uses, like, a window of context around a particular word in order to predict it. So that window is probably can be anything from 10 characters, like 10, I don't know, words around it to um, 40 for all I know. Um, and it asks you to based on, given this one word, predict all the other words around it or give it all the other words around it, try to predict that word. And that's how they train this thing up. Um, but yeah, this number kind of represents a semantic space. Cause when we think about things, right? So if I say the word orange and I say the word apple, and I say the word cat, in our brain somehow we've got cat and apple kind of grouped closely together and we've got ugh, cat and apple
1: orange. Apple, <laughs> apple and orange
3: grouped <laughs> closely together and we've got cat grouped somewhere else with dog and a whole bunch of other things um internet etc um so we've got them grouped like that and that's what these word vectors try to do and if we if we try to think about it we can't really visualize the dimensionality which we're thinking about those words but there is some sort of very high dimensionality we're thinking about them. And that's what these vectors do is try to capture that like distance that you're kind of thinking of in your brain when you think of those things. Um, so yeah, so but when, when you're training it, you feed it the whole of Wikipedia um, in order to train it. But in order to use it, you just feed it a word and it spits out the vector for that. And that vector has lots of dimensions. And if you take two vectors, that have been given to you by Word2Vec, you can compare them, you can run distance measures across them, um, and you can kind of, from that, you can see, ah, well, you'll see that orange and apple are very close together and and uh, cat is very far away, for instance. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah,
2: yeah, that does. Okay, so I guess that, that also, it's just me not knowing the space. So you'd use word 2 the same tool in two different contexts, in the training in one way, and then in the usage in a different way.
3: Yeah, so to train it is, if someone wants to... Yeah, do you, training is that's how they build the word to vec model.
0: Okay, yeah. and so then you, you've okay. got one, and you can ask it questions. Yeah, gotcha. so right now,
3: yeah, then you've got one. So right now, you can go download one. You never have to train one yourself, really. And it's so, how a how gives the
0: word to vec model? I'm assuming the lots of vectors in it for Wikipedia.
3: It's gigs. Only gigs. I think yeah, it's a couple of gigs. Yeah, it's only oh, gigs. That's because not too it's, bad. It's, it's essentially doing it like um, they used to. The way um old natural language processing kind of this similar kind of thing Mm. used to work was they used to do a thing uh, they used to build these giant matrices called correlation co-occurrence matrices and basically it would you know you'd see the word it's you know n by n where n is the size of your you know dictionary essentially so it's this giant n by n matrix and whenever you basically run through your entire um, wikipedia corpus or whatever and every time a word occurs in the context of another word you'd basically increment that little you know you'd go cool Mm. column row increment that and then they do this major i mean you end up with a massive massive matrix at that point it's way bigger than the word to vec one um but they do dimensionality reduction or um uh what's it it's something de- decomposition, scalar scale value decomposition or something, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, to make it much smaller. Mm. And it ends up with very similar matrix to what you actually get from word to vec. except word to vec has got it far more flexible um, and far easier to compute um, than it actually is to compute these ma- massive um, co-occurrence matrices. Um, so yeah, so it actually is quite small because it's those matrices, you can imagine, they're quite sparse.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah
3: because a lot of things don't occur in a lot of contexts. So it's almost like the word to vec is like a summarization of that. Like it's a much, it's a compressed, smaller version of it.
2: No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. Um, Can you use this Word2Vec to do the kind of stuff? uh, I forgot what it's called. I saw it in a tweet fairly recently. Quite cool how they did the distancing between, like king and queen and prince and princess and this stuff's very close yeah. and you can start doing this kind of translations over genders and
3: yeah like um so uh, some of those you'll see they pick and choose which ones they do
2: <laughs> the um, easy ones
3: no <laughs> the ones that work to be honest because um yeah it's quite hard to be able to test like the entire dictionary to see which ones are actually close and which ones are not and um, but yeah that's that generate that uh, image was probably from Word to Vec like that. That is a very well-known example um, from from word to Vic, um, where you basically yeah you can uh, subtract male and female yes, and that take was that a wording. distance and you add it to king and you'll get queen. Yes, that was um,
2: exactly a visualization of that, and I was completely like just. Uh, enthralled by it, as the that's neat.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very cool, and there are a lot of um, ones where that does happen, and there's a lot of instances where you can try that and it won't work. And um, so a lot of people have a lot of fun trying to explore <laughs> to see what a, um, fun were they called, um, what kind of translations they can kind of pick up um, in word to vec because it's it's unsupervised. We don't know what what's in there really. We have to kind of discover it by fiddling around.
2: <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I want to push us a little forward or up the level or the new buzzwords or whatever we're going to call it. But I mean, I guess for a lot of people you hit um, TensorFlow these days is the number one entry point into this world, whether it's where you want to do language stuff or whether you want to do cat recognition in pictures or anything else that you can do with photos. Um, and for me, at least going down that path as well, I always used to bump into RNNs and, and CNNs and <laughs> you helped me demystify it a bit, but um, for, for anybody else that in their travels stumble over those two like thick pieces, puzzle pieces that that look nearly the same, um, what are they and which one's the one that we actually end up using for language?
3: Um, so you've got CNN is convolutional neural networks and RNN is recurrent neural networks, and convolutional neural networks are the one used for images, and the idea is that it kind of tries to mimic what like the brain does with. Um, Images, we we don't see things in pixels. Computer sees things in pixels. So what it does is it tries to create these kind of pick up features like lines and corners and then eventually group those into shapes and eventually group those into noses and eyes and whatever. So that's how a convolutional network works. A recurrent neural network works kind of like a normal neural network except it's got like a time. You feed things one at a time. So that's the one we use for text because the idea is when I start speaking, Uh, The next time you you say a word, I'm not going to forget the previous word. And by the end of the sentence, I've kind of accumulated a meaning to what you're saying. Um, So that's what an RNN does, is it kind of, each time you feed it a word over time, it'll take into account what was previously given to it. So it remembers stuff from the previous time step and uses that to change um, the meaning of the, the current word you're you're hearing so to say and accumulates that meaning so by the time that you end up at the end of the sentence it's kind of got this it's built up all the knowledge from the time steps and they've used it to influence the actual um, final meaning of it
2: that's cool so that's kind of how you um can like so that's when there's profanity in the sentence the it can pick up whether it's like you know if it's used happily or if it's used in anger because it Use that little state machine that goes with it or a little bit of context
0: no no it's more like you're actually trying to understand what's that famous sentence in linguistics um flies like an arrow fruit flies like a banana (laughs) you know you know that sentence no i've never heard it but but you see the problem with pausing that right yes
3: <laughs> yeah so it's it's never ever yeah it's never a state machine per se um it's pretty much a neural network that where the hidden layer of this neural network so you fed in something it learned something from that word the then it takes that hidden layer and the next time you feed in the next word it makes sure it remembers what it learned from the previous time so i guess it is well, some Did of its you outputs are it connected to its inputs. Yeah, its outputs are connected to its yeah. inputs. So I guess, in a way, it's a state machine. So well, so.
2: I guess state machine was just a verbal tick. I was needed to say something that sounded... Yeah, yeah.
3: And if, I, <laughs> if I think about it, they actually always show it as a state machine, Funny enough. So, um, is
2: it, and... Kenneth, you understand how
0: neural nets work, right?
2: Uh, enough to be dangerous, yes. Yeah, so it's
0: like a bunch of <laughs> scales, right? Yes. And, and what you do is you, like, throw, like, a bunch of weights into this field of scales. Yes. And then they, like, tip over in various ways. And right at the one side of the field, like, one of the scales, like, tips out onto, like, something. It's like an output. But really, like, the internal construction of all these scales and these weights is is pretty weird and pretty mysterious. That's what the training's all about. It sounds all very, like, fancy, but it's just, it's a kind of mess.
3: (laughs) It's a really interesting way of explaining it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my, I, yeah, okay. I have my own taxonomy of these things. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, so the, the best way I can explain like a, a, a neural network, particularly the type that we use, is um, you, to train it, you usually give it a, some sort of data as input, like the things you know, and you want it to predict, predict the thing you don't know eventually. But in order to do that, you need to give it, known patterns where you know what the answer is. So you feed it the thing you don't know, and then it makes a bet as to what the outcome will be.
0: Called random random number generation.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and you basically say, ah, well, if it predicts the correct thing, you kind of tweak all the little weights in between to be able to make that outcome more probable and if it predicts the wrong thing then you tweak all the outputs a little bit to make sure that that's less likely to be the outcome and you do this for hundreds of thousands of patterns and eventually it turns out that it learns you know how to do the things most of the time
2: yeah that's that's great so i guess does it learn or is it just like a bigger statistical model that's really good at doing this thing if you throw something like I mean, does it? Well, it depends learn.
0: if you think that we're algorithms, right?
2: Because yeah. if
0: if we're <laughs> algorithms, then it's learning, right?
3: Yeah. So so if we are just big statistical models, which I think we are, then it's learning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> stuffed <laughs> now. Now completely. Uh,
3: absolutely. <laughs>
2: completely.
0: you are just, just a bunch of weights, buddy.
2: <laughs> I'm just... Well, I'm also trying to pick the rabbit hole to yeah. go down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, so maybe something practical. Um, I'm also trying to, like, I keep... A lot of this is guided by my failed attempts to to start with this, and, I mean, it's not epic failures, because they were mostly non-starters, because I actually never had a clue what to do with any of this technology, and just fiddling with something for something's sake, I don't think is a productive way to learn anything.
0: You, you, you wanted to create a friend, man.
2: No, uh, no, I've got you. No, no,
0: thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean another one,
0: like like I have two people. (laughs) Um, And you're not entirely sure whether I'm a human or not.
2: Yeah, well, uh, yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, I've I've looked at stuff like... um, I mean, so obviously, it's always like picking between trying to wire the stuff up yourself with uh, TensorFlow or Cortex or whatever other techs out there. Um, and then there's looking at um, the Watson tech from out of IBM or their Bluemix stuff. And, and, and Google's got all their APIs that's worth exploring as well. And... The most fascinating thing I've seen there is literally like I took some recordings um, from us and threw it up there to see how it would hold up for transcription. And I was quite blown away and then it kind of wore fairly quickly again. Um, But I I guess I'm just like in other ways, like it's always Twitter sentiment analysis, you know, that kind of stuff. Just like it's always identified the cat in the picture with with visual stuff. Like what's a great use for this kind of stuff if somebody wants to build something more concrete, more tangible?
3: So... What I usually do is, well, I usually do one of the great things that exists is this website called Kaggle and Kaggle is basically real world problems where there are competitions and things like that. And they first train you on like, well, they train, you can, you can start, either start on a competition or you can start if you're really, really beginner, they'll, you'll start on like a easier problem. And, um, they basically are real world problems with real world data sets, um, that need to be solved. And they're quite novel and some of them are extremely difficult. Some of them are easier, but regardless, it's a really good way to get like playing with these different things. Um, So one of the ones that I did is they've got a whole bunch of open data sets, which is really cool. And I came across, they've had a lyric data set of like 55,000 songs. And I was like, that's cool. Um, Why don't I build something that, generate songs so I want I want, I want a songwriter yeah. I've got a band they play really weird music I'm pretty sure I could use whatever rubbish lyrics it invents and <laughs> <I guess laughs> that. Um, and um, it turns out that actually building those um, it's quite easy it's a char- character based RNN a current neural network like we spoke about earlier and um, that's a really fun one that means you build a little you built a little thing that can do something so I've seen the a whole variety of ones you can train it on um, books. Certain books. I've seen one that's been trained on Alice in Wonderland and it writes a story like Alice in Wonderland or attempts to. Um, there's a, one pretty famous one on Nietzsche. So you basically train a little Nietzsche to be able to generate works similar to Nietzsche. And yeah, and it, it's far more interesting than doing the thing that identifies the cats.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> like... wow, that's great. I forgot about Gaggle. I heard about it in another show. Um, and th- yeah, that's fantastic.
0: You know, another one that's kind of fun to do, Kenneth, is to try to play simple games like Tetris or you know Solitaire or something like that.
2: Oh, teaching it to do the to play the game.
0: Yeah, so do like basic recognition of what's going on in the game state, trying to make a decision, then you know going around and around like that. That's that's always a cool thing.
3: So the, the hard thing there, I think, is training it, which is why Kaggle's so great, because they probably have data sets like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: like a million which, Tetris games.
3: <laughs> yeah, a million Tetris games, and you can feed it in, which is really, really, like, fun. I've seen... Um, but you could also,
0: you could also like, just play Tetris, and if you lose, that, that, you could, that that's, yeah. that's how you learn.
3: <laughs> yes, so you'll have to trade play Tetris for a couple of hours, days maybe. (laughs) Maybe get all your friends
1: to play Tetris. (laughs) Maybe create a Tetris website
3: (laughs) where everyone can play Tetris and then maybe you can capture enough data for it.
1: So I guess, yeah, that is the next question is how much data do you actually need to train something like that? (laughs) That is always the magical question. But how much do you need? (laughs) You need as much data until it works.
3: (laughs) It's like not a hard, (laughs) fast rule. Um, it depends on the complexity of the problem. It depends on how much, um, a lot of these things you can start off with, are, you know, you can have a neural network in stages. So you can have like stage one, which can be pre-trained. So maybe a word to vec or one of these pre-trained convolutional neural nets that can extract features for you, things like that. Um, and then you don't really need that much data, perhaps, to do the last step. But um, the...
0: it has to be statistical. Statistically significant. Yeah, I said it.
3: Statistically significant is a good one, but they always say the more data the better. When in doubt, add more data. If things aren't working, you probably need more data. Well, that's
0: that's what statisticians say, yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, just get more of it, make it better if you can. So for simpler problems, you I mean um the lyric generator I did. I think I only had something like 300,000 characters. It wasn't, oh no, wait, it was 1 million characters. And that's quite small. And from that I generated a bunch of patterns and I think there were maybe 3 million patterns or something, 30 million. Um, and that to you guys are going, wow, that sounds like a lot, but it's actually, it's actually not. <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're thinking about cool, we're just looking at individual characters in in text. Um, But- um, Three megs. So. Yeah. Which, it's actually very small. Mm -hmm. Um, So it depends on the thing. I've found a million is usually a good starting point, at least in the stuff I've done. When in doubt, start with a million data patterns and then get better from there, Uh, particularly for the deep learning kind of things. If you're working with um, much simpler problems where you're not feeding, you're not trying to predict images or do text. You just have some data and you want to predict some numeric output or something like that. Um, then you can actually work with a lot less. And also depends on your training technique. If we're doing neural networks, you need more data. Um, there's a couple of techniques such as random forests, um, which is a entirely different way of doing it. That requires a lot less data. So yeah, it's a. There's no real rule of thumb yet. You can just kind of get a feel for it as you go. Hey, my
2: production system at the moment has over two million distinct data points in (laughs) yeah like hmm (laughs) can go play
3: see see there we go see that's the correct problem so you're asking like what's a cool example that's a cool example it's also really hard but you also know it very well so that's a very good example so like a a domain you know very well where you know what the data looks like and then you can play with it that's that's a very good example because yeah doing the they always do this mnist data data set one which is the number predictor but it's boring you can download something to do it and it's like okay cool so what did i learn
0: you should rather play noughts and crosses
3: yeah (laughs) that's more fun
2: no that's that's great thanks like i mean like i'll yeah i'll go play with it and figure it out but it's it's been kind of a non-starter for me um but yeah i need a goal first and i think the kegel stuff will also be good to just go have a look at um,
3: it it's it's really really good. It's it's and it's a lot of fun. And the community is really nice and like welcoming. And just from you spending a couple of hours on there, you would already learn so much just from reading people's stuff, not even like trying it yourself. Um, just from seeing what people the way people explore the data and things so they do everything from like basic statistical techniques to visualizations to neural networks you never you never know they choose They people try choose what's best for the data it's like it's a lot of fun go do that it's way better than doing identifying cats as much as i love cats
2: (laughs) yeah no definitely and uh, how far we away from this technology writing a movie do you think (laughs) A blockbuster, (laughs)
3: we're a fair amount away, Um, but I think I posted at the conference, there's a, um, a research group that basically trained a neural network on a whole bunch of film scripts and got it to write a screenplay. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's absurd. So, yeah.
3: You should see the film. <laughs> like, it is hilarious. It's got the the main guy from Silicon Valley. What's his name? Um, he's the main character in it. It's it's completely absurd. The plot makes no sense. Um, so it tries to do it. It manages to kind of form like English sentences, but there's no continuous plot. And I think that's the limitation is that we can predict. It's like a, a sentence or something, but we cannot go... Um, Past that, maybe we can predict a couple of sentences to a paragraph. We can write something that can actually generate these things to kind of some degree of sense. But beyond that, to actually get a full plot line, it doesn't have a concept of very, very, very long-term memory.
0: So so can I ask a a different question to change tack a bit here? We seem to have in this industry become obsessed with neural nets. What about all the other like techniques, or are they just too hard? And is is neural nets like the only kind of thing that are getting traction at the moment, like things like expert systems and, you know, actual big, so, big RDF knowledge bases and things like that.
3: So I'd say, um, yeah, it, dep- it depends where you're looking. So I think if you're looking at expert systems, there are a couple of reasons why deep learning or people like deep learning over expert systems. And the fact is you don't need an expert to be able to use to be able to do deep learning things. I'm not an expert in NLP. Um, I have some knowledge, background knowledge, but I'm not an expert and yet I'm able to generate things that you know work in the NLP sphere. And I'm not an expert in image recognition. Um, I can train things to do that. I think you are an expert in natural language. <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: having a pretty decent conversation. Yep, I, guess, I was just going to say. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the thing is that if you if you look back, um, at I mean, I'll pick up a book on the old techniques, and I'll say, I have no idea what they're doing. I don't know what a bunch of these things are. The, the old techniques were there is like an expert. I couldn't, if you asked me to code something to attempt to do the same thing that I could just train a neural network to do, I wouldn't know how to do that. I wouldn't be able to give an expert system those rules, um, but on the same Line so maybe not expert systems, but there is this in between. Um, I mean, neural networks have just become this buzzword, yeah, and yeah. everyone thinks neural networks solve every problem. And they yeah, know, exactly. have got yeah. one. You just throw this neural network. Oh, at and it's, it's machine
0: learning, you know, recursive machine descent, learning. blah blah blah. You know. Yeah, d-
3: deep learning. Yeah, yeah, deep yeah. Buzzword, big data, blah blah. I mean, I was um, at a
0: conference th- recently, and the guy was like, "I think humans actually work like this, mostly." We don't, but anyway, (laughs) like, off you go, like, carry on. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
3: And, um, but there's a a chunk in between of all these other statistical models, very basic statistical models, Um, things that we've had for 40 years kind of thing, and um, they're often very effective, and we're overcomplicating it by putting a neural network there. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: So you should be just using kind of one of these uh, old um, tree-based kind of – AI things, uh, yeah, 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 Random forest we four point five, or these things that generate rules that have um,
0: actual facts in them, not statistics. Yeah. like at the base,
3: yeah. Yeah, not just. I uh, have actual facts that you can actually view, which is really yeah, a no. lot better for a, a corporate client in particular who wants to see, who wants to trust this thing. Yeah, and then, like
0: medical stuff, right? <laughs> why are yeah. you Why are you feeding me this drug? Well, there's a <laughs> there's a point nine seven percent probability that it'll fix you. Um, (laughs) I did a bit more than that machine, yeah.
3: (laughs) Pretty much. So I think it it is just a buzzword because we've had like a lot of advancements with them in coming with GPUs and things. But if you go look on Kaggle, you'll see a lot, most of those um, problems aren't solved by a neural network. Like there are ones that are solved by neural networks, particularly when you get to images, particularly when you get to text. Yeah, yeah, OCR Um,
0: and all that kind of stuff. That's fantastic. I love it. That's that's, Those neural nets, yeah. And they fit to purpose, right?
3: Yeah, but everything else, um, if you want to predict if people are going to default on their loans, you're probably going to use a random forest and you're not going to use, a, you're not going to touch it. All yes, exactly. Because yeah. it's actually going to be overcomplicated or it'll do too much. Yeah, or it'll
0: need so many layers and things and you'll never be able to understand the edge cases, like why it you know, rejected a certain person who seems great otherwise. You just—you just yeah. You just won't know, yeah.
3: Yeah, so they, I mean, there's a field now of neural network research where they try to, they call it explainers, they try to explain why a neural network did something. Seriously? Um, yeah, some very <laughs> cool stuff. <laughs> I'm not even, it's really useful. So they had this, um, the, the example they always use yeah. for this is they fed it, they were basically training a neural network to um, identify like a wolf in a picture, to identify wolves. Right. And um, they fed it. Loads and loads and loads of pictures, and they eventually put it through one of these explainers, and they realised it wasn't identifying wolves; it was identifying the snow yes. that always occurred around the wolves. So, it never, if so, if you put a picture of a cat in a snowy area, it would identify it as a wolf yeah. because of the snow. Um, and explainers do things like that; they'll highlight the area that was related to that decision, which is very cool and very useful. Yeah, Ken, Ken helps would, a lot. If you
2: put Ken in the snow,
3: he'd look like a wolf. <laughs> yes, yeah. he, he would be a wolf. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Nice. And John Snow?
0: Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, all, all wolves,
3: man. <laughs> yeah.
0: Game of Thrones, it's a show about
2: wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's fascinating. Well, I mean, that's also telling that there's a whole field developing just around explaining what their field is doing. It sounds a bit absurd <laughs> when you put it that well,
3: way. You can, if, you, if you look it up, it kind of makes sense um, because you, it's, it's a way to build trust because can, I can give you a statistic yes. and say, cool, I've got – and this is going to predict it with a 98% accuracy – like it's going to do it correctly, but they'll go, yeah, but how do I really know that the data was correct? How do I really know it's making the correct decision? So you put it through one of these and it kind of gives you like, cool, this is what your neural network is using. This is the parts, this is the information on this image it's using. Yeah, it's like Um, like
0: SQL explained for databases. (laughs) You know. Like, what on earth did you do for, like, <laughs> half an hour? Well, I went here, and I found the snow, and then I found more snow, and then there was a wolf. It's a wolf, anyway. guys.
2: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, I guess that it's true, um, but you said that there's other models. And then thanks for asking that, because, I mean, the risk is it is such a huge side machine, and, and you give the example of the like loan approvals and whatnot. But the flip side is there's also some exec somewhere that greets the next headline of business insider and mobilizes the whole team to go do the wrong thing in yeah, the yeah. company.
3: Yes. And or have this amazing expectation. I mean, if you look at what's happening, it's everything we're using, even in my Work stuff, it's stuff research that's just been published that half the time has only got like academic relevance. You know, it's it's still not classifying things above 60% accuracy, yeah. which in a business context, that usually isn't good enough, right? Yeah. So people have this like they either have these amazing expectations and this is the answer for everything. And you really do need to understand the limitations of where it stops, what it can do, what it can't do, what you require to get it to work in the first place. Um, and is it even necessary? Because why bother <laughs> why bother yeah <laughs> and
0: and a lot of the use cases right now are big corporates big business you know big stuff very little like to do with me on an individual level making new friends kind of thing doing my personal stuff like it's 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 i think that's a big jump and it's hard to cross that but yeah things like loan approvals on mass that kind of stuff seems appropriate
3: yeah i'd imagine it's appropriate um I think I know of a couple of companies doing that kind of stuff, um, just using neural networks to do it. And then you've got all the the bankers arguing like, no, no, yeah. but we know how to do loan approvals. I don't need a neural network to do it. I've got a <laughs> I've got an expert system. Why would I need a neural network to do it? Yeah,
0: this? <laughs> it's because they're like, you know, 0.75% more like better at finding defaulters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: And and using this. Oh, sorry.
3: Oh, no, I was just saying that's going to be the next fight is them job losses because the neural network took my job. But
2: yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that goes for any kind of automation, really. Um, it's yeah. not a big risk. But,
3: uh,
2: yeah, I don't have any answers or comments <laughs> on that, really. Um,
3: <laughs> we're all software developers. We're clearly all pro this. like. <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean,
2: at the same time, you can argue, like, if we're not careful, like, well, if we're not careful, we're just going to become blue-collar workers unless we stand out and do amazing stuff. But I mean, people are flowing into our field in mass as well, so. No, like... look, I'm
0: I'm all for it because I think it's going to cause the downfall of like massive insurance companies. Yes. Like they're going to yeah. be like they'll have no idea what's actually going on in about five years' time. And then you know the thing will just start misbehaving. Nobody will be able to figure it out, and I'll go bankrupt, and we'll be like free of insurance companies. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and people are going to start naming their kids very clever names to like trip those systems up in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I watch Fight Club, but too often. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yo, know, I, I guess these uh, these technologies definitely don't have to be um, mutually exclusive. I guess you could probably like. Run a neural net and an expert system side by side, and give them different information. and And I, I come from that because I saw, uh, I think it's the NHS in the in the UK um, or somebody else in the UK. They they've built up this database over time of just people pictures of people's eyes with whatever um, the prognosis the doctors made. And then they kind of like start predicting if they take a picture from somebody's eye, the system just goes, look, well, maybe this eye kind of looks like a few other thousand eyes that had flu and had this thing and that thing. I don't think it's it's supposed to just be a gu- guiding system for a doctor, not ever replace them. But I don't know how anybody feels about that kind of stuff. I think that's kind of huge.
3: What uh, the, As a secretary,
2: the, as an assistant kind of thing, not as an authoritative system using all these different technologies in parallel. To
3: amend it, yeah. So so I think that's the idea of a lot of them. Particularly, we have not... We're nowhere near breaching kind of a general intelligence anyway. So people are freaking out that oh, AI is going to take over. No, AI can be misused. I think that is um, Elon Musk's yes. point. It's not they're going to take over. It's, it can be misused. It can be already. Um, but uh, it's, it's, we don't have a general AI yet, and I think we're still a couple of years off from that. And because of that, we still need, like, what it is is tools. We're just building up tools that can make things better and make things faster, the same way we do with any other software, you know. We're building up a tool that can aid your decision to um uh, give a certain medication or something, something that you probably couldn't even have done before.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think for me the, the line there is when my choices, you know, sort of, when, when the machine's opinion becomes like legally threatening to me, I have to stay in hospital because it is so.
3: That's dark.
0: Mm. You, know, you know, right now right now, the doctors bully me into staying in the hospital, but I can argue with them. You But know? can, you
3: can't argue with the machine that locks you out. Exactly. You've got a very dark view of AI.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not AI. It's just an algorithm, please. I'm, I, I would love to have a proper AI, which really thought and, and had some kind of intelligence. I'd love to have a proper conversation with it. But, you know, when I, when I have to deal with some stupid algorithm clearance claim, is mm. like we're no longer gonna pay your in you know, hundred and fifty million rand hospital bill, or, or hundred and fifty thousand, whatever it is, because it's crazy. Because I didn't listen to the algorithm. That's that's where it gets scary, and you know?
3: yeah, and that that is where it gets scary. Yeah. And I guess that's where the this this mis- misuse of AI can come into
2: yeah to play
3: yeah.
2: yeah. Is this kind of the the um, space where those thought? Vectors start coming in to start bridging the gaps between just lower level stuff to something at a completely different level. Being able to string like bigger things together and weave more complex thoughts and decision making and stuff.
3: So I think thought vectors are still too primitive because they're still at the moment we're still we're still at the perception kind of end. We're still it's still all about cool. If I perceive words that are like this. I can perceive a cat that means the same thing. We don't really know, we don't have a thing that doesn't attribute to like an object and that object doesn't, isn't subject to rules in our universe. (laughs) So we can connect different types of perception together, but we can't really like describe them to any kind of like, this is a thing. This is how it relates to this other thing. And these are the physical rules that go to it. We're not there yet. That's very difficult. (laughs) And that's and that's the thing is you can't really have a cement like you can't really have a meaningful conversation with AI because it doesn't really know what you're talking about. There is no thing; it's just converting numbers to other numbers. It's converting little characters to pixels.
0: Uh, to Kenneth, for me, one of the most practical applications right now is the supposed idea of self-driving cars. Right. Yes. So the the question I always ask people is how far away. You think actual trustable self-driving cars are? So we're not talking general ai We're talking like a very specific thing. All I want you to do: drive me from like home to work and back, right? Just do that without killing people, without killing me. You know, <laughs> just be safe. How, how far away do you think that is?
2: I think we're closer. Like I think we're on the cusp. If it's yeah, you know, I mean, aren't we just?
0: I, th- I think if we have my personally, I think if we have that within twenty years, we'll be doing.
2: Really that long. That's
0: yeah. I
3: I think we'll end up with the technology way before we can actually use it because the legal problem is always still there. Who pays for the damage if it goes wrong?
0: Well, so Whereas now
3: like if I do something wrong, you can blame me. If the car has a mess up, you can blame like the people who built the car, you can blame the other person. Whereas with that, I still haven't solved how that would work. I don't know what that looks like. Who pays when the AI messes up?
0: Legal problems aside, because that's a whole other podcast, which we'll have to do later, but <laughs> when would you personally trust a car to drive you around?
3: <laughs> I'm an Never. awful driver, so as soon as possible. Like, yeah, but, wait, but next week.
0: from your insight into the tech, and I mean, you've seen all these videos on like YouTube of Tesla's driving off the road, and you know, like I mean, there's there edge cases, right? These things are big statistical models of driving. Like, you're going to be okay to get in that thing and like let it drive you around.
3: We have we have a lot of data on it. Yeah. So we've got loads and loads of driving data. Yeah, yeah. And Because of that reason, I'd say it's going to be less than twenty years. Two years. I'm within twenty years, yeah. I'm I'm in ten years. Ten years. If that, yeah. If okay,
0: that. no, that's cool. I mean, some people are like tomorrow. It's, 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 yeah,
3: like I'm, almo- I'm almost tomorrow. I, I want to say, but I think we've still got a couple of years to hmm. round out some of the kinks and trust and things. But I would still say we're very close, and I think I'll, I'll and viable we're okay Like
0: the cars can drive yeah. and make enough decisions locally to, yes. to to handle themselves. Okay, that's interesting. Most
3: most of the time, and I'd say cool, they'll drive off the road, but I don't like. I drive every day and everyone drives like maniacs and there's the n- number of accidents every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are, number, there are deaths all the time just from driving. And I just want to, I mean, I'd love to be able to see the statistics one day when we actually can look down and be like, cool, let's look at the number of um, accidents per day yeah,
0: yeah.
3: compared to when humans used to drive <laughs> themselves around.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly I'm with you. I'd, I'd love for that future to be there where it's completely safe and kids can play in the road and cars won't Soon. drive over them.
2: Soon, yeah, no, I can't wait either. Like, I was feeling a bit disillusioned. I wanted to get into my Tesla tomorrow, not worry about the traffic anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Me too. But you know, you're starting to see, like, there's a two two years, years. two years, two years. years. There's my Ken's, Ken's like September. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: (laughs) come on, Elon. (laughs) Len Len is twenty (laughs) thirty (laughs)
0: seven.
2: No, I would love that, the promise of that stuff. And I think, yeah, but I, yeah, Lens also, it's a very focused AI yeah. and that's great. Like they can get it and nail it and, and like polish it off to do that one thing <laughs> and work on the ever like very complex edge cases it has. Hmm. But I mean, undoubtedly there's a lot of stuff to still sort out. Yeah, but yeah. I am super excited for that. Look, um, I'm, I'm
0: personally, I'm truly amazed that whoever started this AI, you know, like marketing stuff, pretty good. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of the cars, I don't even want to call that an AI, right? I want to call that like what, an SI, a specific SA, specific mm. algorithm for driving, right?
3: Yeah, so the, once again, that distinction between like AI and generalized AI. So specific AI we've kind of, some people say it's solved, we know how to do it. Um, you give it lots of data that you know about and then it learns about it. Yeah. Um, whereas generalized that's but they, they won't that's let the car
0: take their children to school. Yeah, exactly. Soon. 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 Do you work for Google marketing?
3: (laughs) But I think it's, uh, you know, we're still, we're not even part of the generation that'll, we're part of the, like, generation that'll be Mm. like, back in my day, we used to drive ourselves around, none of this fancy nonsense. Your your mother kept losing the the car keys. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Whereas, like, these, um, people are growing up now, that's going to be the norm. Oh like,
0: yeah, totally. I mean, I, I have a five-year-old soon. and there's absolutely no ways I can explain to her what telephone used to be, you know. A thing, like blah blah, <laughs> yes. like fixed to the wall, like just, she just looks at me like I'm a bit crazy. Funny old dad, you're so
3: <laughs> old. If you try to explain to her the save yeah.
0: button. <laughs> and why she's not allowed to poke the TV. That, that That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a big one. But yeah.
2: Oh man, <laughs> yeah, this is great, everyone. But we're we getting close to time. Mm-hmm. Actually, if I'm not on failing me, we are more or less at time. Um, is there anything else we kind of need to chat about this to maybe close off um, any open loops? I mean, for, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Like, I, it was great. You know, this like we hit a bunch, a bunch of the words, and I think we dismissed some of the buzzwords. And you gave us some great practical stuff with Kaggle to go and play with. I definitely. I'm going to check that out. Um, and I need to put a link uh, to that video. I only made that video <laughs> from that, that play in the show yeah, notes. It's this fantastic. fantastic.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I, I um, like what, what Jade said about generating song lyrics. That's super fun. It gives you a real, like, yeah. insight into, like, kind of how weird these things are.
3: <laughs> how weird they are and also how simple they are yeah. yeah.
0: It's It's, like, really simple to get that's... the songs out, but they make no sense, right?
3: Yeah, they make no sense, but it's it's still kind of fun to. I mean, I remember when I was studying, I used to code a neural network. It used to take you three days, and it's yeah. not work. Whereas now, it's four lines of Python, and you have a neural network, and you've already fed it the data, and it's hey, it's strange itself. Cool.
2: <laughs> that is super interesting. Yes. So, have you performed a, a song written by an AI yet? <laughs>
3: So so I only just uh wrote my song generator. I only got it working I think two days ago. And I actually had band practice yesterday and I, I brought it up and I think I think we're gonna do it. I just have to I just wanna generate a couple and then like we're gonna pick our favorite and then we're gonna do it.
2: <laughs> nice. That could be part of the show. Like everybody tends to do a cover of their favorite songs. You guys can cover the future, cover
0: the yes. unwritten
3: yeah. <laughs> Yes.
0: Well we'll send me some
2: lyrics. We'll 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 put it to music as well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. We'll do cool. so. <laughs>
2: If somebody wants to hear you guys perform, do you guys play out at venues around Pretoria, Joburg? Uh,
3: Yeah. So we do play quite often. Um, It it depends on how busy I am because I'm usually the one organizing this. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the name of
0: the band?
3: They're called Follow Me, Follow You. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yes. And they're they're pretty cool. We're instrumental, though. Um, But we're starting to get into some singing and some shouting because that's what we like and yeah it's quite odd um i don't know how into music you are but it's somewhere between like jazz and post hardcore <laughs> like it's, it's but it's
0: fine oh very very cool like the aristocrats maybe i,
3: I do not know ah. them it's it's genre calls the genre's called math rock oh, it's super awesome it. <laughs> yeah if you've ever heard of it <laughs> i love it I don't
0: know how much yeah like kind of progressive technical rock
3: yes oh. yeah so like super nerd Rock. It we play it because it's fun to play, not because it's nice to listen yeah, yeah, to. Although he's kind nice. of nice. We great Yeah, you stuff, have to
0: so. apologize before certain songs, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> literally, it's like we write it just to upset people.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm there. I'm there.
2: Yeah, definitely. let us know when you've got a, a next show. But I'll I'll add links to, to follow me, follow you's Twitter account in right, the guys. show notes as well.
3: Thanks you. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. that's. No, it's always great when people do interesting stuff outside of the course, we get them on, you know, the main reason. Cause, you know, WhatsApp, all those YouTube views always see people are amazing. They do different things, some jaw-dropping stuff, and fascinating stuff.
3: And a lot of software developers playing bands. It's just a thing. I've noticed yeah. it. I don't know why. I've met so many bassists as a software developer. I don't know why this is a correlation, but it happens. And now, Len, you're learning to be a bassist.
0: Mm.
3: Like, it's meant to be.
0: Absolutely. I used to play the drums, but I do think there's a high correlation between music and
2: programming i think i think they're very relaxed yeah yeah i mean i i can't remember i listened to some show ages ago where somebody's talking about like the work-life balance stuff um and they were explicitly saying um if you really want a break don't go learn a musical instrument because you activate the same paths in your brain that you use um in software so like like go actually do something else (laughs) don't be stuck in the same loop which is quite That's fascinating. Strange. But but I think it was also observational. It was like, look, there's all this stuff and, and own experience with musical instruments. It was just like, look, if so many software people can be so good and and, and quickly learn music, then definitely you're reusing a bunch of skills that you didn't know underneath. So, and, and just therefore go do something else, like go cook or go run, or hike, or paint or something. It's just not and a I music. I don't
3: want to do those
2: things. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm beating a dead horse. Um, thank you. Thanks a lot. That was great. Um, I think we need to steer off into PIX. Uh, does anybody have? Does everybody have PIX? Um, sure, I've got one. Cool, then. so you could some of kick us off then. Sure.
0: I've been playing with Instapars in Clojure, and um, I'm trying to hook it up with the CLJ web drivers. Right? Like a, oh, nice. Yeah. So I need to rope you in on that, can I? But I think it's super cool, and I think we can make like a really super simple like
2: web testing tool. Yeah, that that sounds fascinating. Yeah, exactly. It does sound cool. Uh, Chatelle, do you have any picks?
1: Um, Yes, so my pick is an article by MIT Technology Review. So the problem is about translating um, Chinese um, spoken to text and also about um, creating bots that can actually like understand some commands and stuff and it's and it just explains like some of the complexities in the Chinese language um so for example um Chinese doesn't have um spaces for sentences and so that's quite hard for um natural language processing and also tenses there's no tenses um, in spoken Chinese. So trying to get that. Oh, are the tenses
0: in written
3: Chinese. No, there's That's
1: no tenses. Pretty
3: hardcore.
1: <laughs> so it's it's mostly based on like what the words are mm. in the mm. sentence. Yeah. So it's just it's just interesting article about some of the but problems. So how do you and, how do you talk about the future
0: the same, in Chinese?
1: So then you would add a word okay. which would be for the future. But it doesn't so you would say tomorrow.
0: There's no like verb. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: The verb doesn't change. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just very interesting, and it's about also how um, a company like Alibaba has, is trying to make a, uh, like, for example, like an assistant to help order, um, like, goods online um, and the challenges with that, but also how they have access to all this data. Hmm. That sounds pretty cool. Hey, I
0: yeah, something new.
2: Yeah, thanks. And it just dawned on me, we had a whole show about – like natural English processes. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, we didn't even go into translation technically.
2: Yeah, or any other language. And, and Chantal just nailed it. That's, yeah. Yeah. Something to think about. Uh,
3: Jade, do you have any picks first? us? Yes. Um, so my main pick would be probably have a look at Kaggle for anyone who hasn't. Um, then also that video of the um, AI uh, well, the the screenplay that was written by AI, because um, that's hilarious. Um, and I'm also reading a couple of articles about creativity. So there's two, and it's creativity and AI. And um, the one is basically a summary of everything that AI has done in creativity, um, or in terms of creativity. And they kind of go through, like, cool, what are we going to define creativity as? Because that's kind of a difficult thing to do. And then they look at areas where an AI has been seen to be creative and how that could, like, be... Creativity, So it's a Medium article. I'll, I'll post it. And they look at things like uh, these things called Gans, um, which basically look at a whole bunch of faces and then learn to generate faces, random faces that it hasn't seen before. Or it looks at um, a whole bunch of... Uh, what's a really good one? Oh, it looks at um, an image written by made by one artist, and then it'll apply a style from another artist called style transfer. I think there was an app Prisma that did that, and they actually go into like some of the techniques of how they do that. So that's quite a cool one. Um, so that recently posted. Uh, yeah, those are my picks.
2: Wow. Yeah, I think I've seen some of those style transfer tr- uh, paintings. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, Somebody's so drawing of two kittens, and then it's in Picasso's like oil styles, and you're just like, what?
3: Yeah, so if you check on my GitHub, I, lit, I just put up a notebook that does that, the style transfer, and you can download it on your own machine. It's pretty quick. And then you can have one that's – you can play with it and fiddle with the settings and train it on whatever you want. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, nice. I'll put links to, to all those repos in the in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, and then uh, I came in here quite pickus, but something popped up mid-show, um, and I'm glad it didn't get uh, picked up, was uh, uh, Westworld, the HBO series. That's also quite uh, interesting. Wrestling with what a general AI can look like.
3: Yes, Westworld's pretty cool. I actually stopped watching. It. I can't remember why,
2: but it was awesome. Yeah, so I'm curious to see where they take it further down. But I, that one was quite good, and, and I loved how they hid away uh, some of the final twists in, in the plot and whatnot. And that's quite like a. <gasps> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's an interesting one. So that that that's for me. So, yeah, Jay, thank you so much um, for making time for us on a Monday uh, evening.
3: Of, of course. Thank you very much for listening to me talk rubbish for an hour.
2: That's super awesome. Yeah, that's was great. Thank you. And, cool. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, there'll be notes and everything out. And yeah, I hope you uh, take your uh, talk a bit on tour for some other conferences and stuff. Like it was, I had a great time watching it. I mean, that set up the show to happen, so.
3: Yay. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm doing, I've got one coming up, but that one's, I mean, I've actually done Similar talks and they've all been very NLP focused. And I actually got bored of like explaining word to vec, so I'm doing one now that does NLP as well as some convolutional neural networks and stuff. Um, so for anyone in Joburg, uh it's at towards the end of August. It's at Josie Hub. Uh, it's called rap Tier Sessions, um, and I'm doing one on like kind of a general thing. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the next one I have planned at least.
2: Okay, that's cool. I'll have to tweet it out. Uh, the show won't be out by that time. But we'll make some noise.
3: Okay, cool. Thank
2: you. Cool. Thanks.
3: Cool, everyone.
2: With that, let's uh, say goodnight. Cheers, guys.
3: Night, guys. Bye. 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 Cheers.
2: Show notes for this episode can be found on ZADefChat.io. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at ZADefChat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZADefChat podcast, and we'll see you next time.